Hi there, and welcome back to Simply Put. This is Jordan, and I'm here with Ashes today in a little guest spot. Uh, we actually re- recorded our uh, entire episode just a few minutes ago, and, you know, sometimes when you hit the save button, it doesn't actually do the thing. So we're recording it again. We're going to try to keep it as dynamic and organic as possible, uh, as it was before. Um, but today we're going to be discussing a little bit about our roles in each other's lives and um, in the life of Rue, her little one, their little one, excuse me, and um, just discussing a little bit about how people's roles in other people's lives change and evolve and become, you know, more important as time goes on if you're doing the work to put, if you're putting in the work. So what he's actually saying <laughs> is we're going to talk a little bit about how, um, I low-key forced him to have the conversation about race that we'd been putting off for a long time uh, while hanging over his head the implied state, if you don't have this conversation with me, then this is a hard limit for me and a hard boundary for me. I will let you make the choice. Um, I will respect whatever that choice is, but we have now reached the crossroads where this has to happen or, like, we can't. Right. And I think... You know, we've set those boundaries with each other before or tried to in the past, and it didn't necessarily work out uh, as well as it could have because maybe one of us, maybe me, <laughs> wasn't in an emotionally mature place to accept that. And um, I think in a lot of ways you've helped to build my ability to question my identity and my values in a way that uh, makes me uncomfortable. And most often people try to avoid that discomfort and because I because I have so much trust in you and respect for you uh, I knew that that discomfort was important to experience rather than to avoid and so in particular I think we're talking about the conversation around Jeffree Star or at least that was the inflection point for me it was a big inflection point Um, and my constant use of his products uh, and how that had a, not a direct, um, it didn't make a direct statement about who I am, but it was an implied statement, and uh, it was becoming direct in my inability to address it, uh, in my inability to have that conversation and to approach that discomfort, and it was a conversation that was a long time coming, uh, and it was one that I was certainly avoiding in a lot of ways, because I knew that it was going to challenge me and I think I was afraid of that until we got to the point where my role as Rue's godparent was becoming more and more real and more and more significant because I hadn't asked you you hadn't asked me no the J-Star conversation we didn't I asked you because we had the J-Star conversation and you worked through it oh okay um that to me on this end and you don't know that but that was either the person who I always expected would be her godparent becomes her godparent and steps into that role or he's just my friend and he doesn't have any involvement in Mm -hmm. my daughter's life and that was kind of a decision that I had started making um even way back then was you are going to be safe we're going to have this discussion across the board with everybody Mm -hmm. or you're not going to be a part of my daughter's life yeah, and I think I knew that if that was going to be the case, then 
our friendship was effectively stagnant mm-hmm. and there was going to be no, you know, moving forward together as friends or growing as, as friends. It was going to be very much, this is who I am. And I really had to look at that and say, is this who I am? Is this who I want to be? Is this how I want somebody else to perceive me? Uh, who looks up to me? Mm-hmm. And so that conversation was hard and it was uncomfortable. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that conversation was? I know sure. we talked yeah. about it on like Simply Ashes, but mm-hmm. actually the challenges that happen within even you writing the the piece that you wrote. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, I have a huge love of makeup and whenever I was in high school, I was really into Jeffree Star because Jeffree Star represented something that I didn't have or that I hadn't yet attained. Um, and I ignored a lot of a lot of the really problematic and awful things about this person because they they were my role model in in a really sick and toxic way. And I had to say, okay, is this person actually the person that I see them as, or or am I just looking up to something that's not actually there? And so I had to look at what I was doing in my consumption of commercial products and say, okay, by buying these products, what am I doing? I'm contributing to someone who has made racist comments in the past, who has continuously not taken responsibility for the things that they have done. And if I were to continue to do those things uh, by being a consumer of their products, I'm contributing to that in 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 a big way, in a monetary way. And whenever you asked me to guest spot in the blog post about JSTAR, I was still using those products, and I still owned those products. And so whenever I wrote that article, instead of actually addressing the problem at hand, which was me supporting someone who was not supportive of people who were real in my life and who were important in my life, uh, what kind of person does that make me? And instead of addressing all of that, I wrote an article about how it's okay, basically it's okay to continue using these products. I was making excuses, and you saw right through that. You knew that what I was writing was bullshit, and you didn't tell me to change it. You gave me the opportunity to change it, but you didn't tell me to change it. And I think that was a moment of pure terror for me, and you know it was a moment of pure terror, (laughs) because I told you I was terrified. because I had to, I had to either stick to what I was saying. These written words that I, that that are were, were going to be permanent, and there was going to be responses to that from you, and leaving it at me equivocating essentially and not making a decision on my position was me actually making a decision of my position, uh, whether I wanted to admit it or not, and so being in those uncomfortable positions and those uncomfortable situations is part of the work. And you gave me that opportunity to do a little bit of more work and you didn't have to do that. And I'm grateful for that, certainly. And I think that really was the moment where I realized that intent and impact are two different things. 
and my intentions might have been good, but it didn't matter because the impact that I was having was that I was consuming a product that was negatively impactful towards someone that was real to me. But I think you and I both knew because you wrote it about the article, you wrote the article about things that we had already spoken about. Um, you knew that not only was I giving you this opportunity to have this conversation and to have it based in what actually happened, you knew I was going to wreck your shit when I responded because I told you, you're going to put me in the position where I'm going to have to prove you wrong. Right. And you would have, and I think if we had gotten to that point, it would have in a lot of ways been the end of our friendship. Because that would have meant that I wasn't emotionally mature enough to recognize what I was doing. I also think it's important that my problem with Jeffree Star and you consuming Jeffree Star cosmetic products wasn't that you were using J-Star products. Mm-hmm. Because I can recognize, like, I am I live in Michigan, and there was a young man who was gay who looked up to Jeffree Star, and his name was Kevin Bacon, and he was murdered at, like, a queer hookup by somebody who tortured him, and, uh, like, the things that he went through before he died, I can't even imagine. He was in love with Jeffree Star. He looked up to Jeffree Star, and it got to Jeffree Star that he felt this way, and he paid for his funeral, and there's still so much good that can be done by people who are otherwise horrible. Look at his business-wise. His makeup line is very much inclusive of all different skin tones, and he uses his position to, um, to encourage other makeup brands to have more inclusive, um, shades. But he does it because it's a good business decision. He's willing to take our money, which in some ways is much better than, like, Chanel and fucking, I don't know, philosophy. Um, but he's using his position to do that, but that's still a business decision. Because he has such an inclusive shade range, if you would have been somebody who was, like, really pale or really dark and you couldn't have, you couldn't find your shade anywhere else, I wouldn't have said anything. Um, but you are like a very normal shade of white and you had other options. And also you're just a year younger than I am. You grew up in the same MySpace era where he became problematic as I did. And you can't say, oh, well, I just liked his packaging. I don't know much about him because you did. Mm -hmm. We grew up in that era where his music videos were taking off and his modeling was taking off. And the first videos of him being um, horribly racist started coming out. And you lived through that. You knew better and you did it anyway. Uh So now I'm sitting in this spot where, to me, that's a bad decision. And that says, okay, am I going to trust you with, with my child who can't? Like, who can't make those decisions on her own and can't understand what is and what isn't safe. Mm -hmm. How far into a conversation where somebody is being racist or being awful or verbally harming her, are you going to let it go before you realize there's something wrong with it? How much harm is going to come to my child 
before we're at wherever your line is because your line is further than I feel like it should be. Yeah. And I'm an adult, so I can navigate that very differently. A child cannot. A child cannot. Yeah. And that's harmful um, mentally, emotionally, and me putting her in that position, knowing that that's the type of thing that you will happily spend money on um, and then make excuses about. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing. Uh, is just like a no-go for me. That, to me, putting her in that position, knowingly putting her in that position, putting her with somebody in charge of her, her well-being, um, is abusive. Yeah, it's abusive, and it's a sign of saying one thing and doing another. Well, like me putting her in that position, knowing whatever harm she would get in that situation would be my fault, and I wasn't going to do that. Um, but you also knew we were at an impasse and you were either going to fuck around and find out Mm -hmm. or whatever, but there wasn't pressure from me in that situation. No. You can make whatever decision you want. It was pressure, certainly. It wasn't, because you know me well enough to know that I was giving you a choice, and your choice mattered in our relationship and where it was going to go from there. Right. And I think people feel like there's a right or wrong choice, but ultimately it's the choice of continuing to be aware that you have choices to make in your life, and those choices impact more than just yourself. Well, everything is a choice. You're either yeah. choosing to do it and work through it like you did, and you we didn't talk for a couple of days after the original Jeffree Star conversation. Yeah. Um, you needed time to reflect. I was waiting. The ball was not in my court anymore. There was no right answer. There was just a which path are we going to choose is right for us. Right. Not making a choice in that decision makes the loudest choice. Yes, exactly. And I don't know that we would have gotten to that point if we hadn't uh, grown a lot over time yes. and given each other those breaks because it's a lifelong decision to make to be in someone else's life it's not just a one-time thing it's a constant thing and it's a matter of action rather than title or saying that you're going to do something and so for for me Well, also saying that you're going to do something over and over and over again and then not following not through yeah. is, is like, manipulation and emotional abuse. No, you're totally right. And, and it's, I mean, it's also very narcissistic, to be perfectly honest, to, to say you're going to do something and then to make excuses for why you're not doing them later and, or get mad at somebody for, for the way that they hold you responsible. Well, we definitely went through a fair amount of that as well. Yes, definitely. And learning how to set those boundaries and hold those boundaries is something really important. And you posted something on Facebook the other day where you were talking about, like, boundaries. And it was really funny. I was like, oh, you feel that way. And you're like, yeah, like, I, I honestly, like, it went through my head in your voice. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I think I was complaining about um, someone who was complaining about something that they did. And they were trying to hold me responsible for why they didn't do something. <laughs> and sometimes you have to set a boundary with people and say, hey, this is on you. This is your responsibility. And in a lot of ways, we didn't do that 
in the earlier parts of our relationship, it was always, instead of holding a boundary, it was holding someone else responsible for your own actions. At least in, uh, in my experience, from what I remember, I, a lot of the things that I was doing, um, I was projecting onto you in a lot of ways. And yep. the, the bad decisions I was making, I was projecting onto you and your decision-making. And trying to exert some sense of control over you in order to give myself control in my life. And that's toxic. Yeah. And damaging. Um, it also is like a poor life choice. Just in general, because I don't fuck like that. I'm actually really surprised I didn't break my phone because the amount of times I would just read something that you sent and it was so like out of pocket, I would just throw my phone. And I remember Cheval and Chris would be like, Jordan said something dumb again, huh? I'll be like, yes, this motherfucker just, they're like, how much longer are you going to do this? Like, this is really toxic. And he seems really awful. I was really awful. (laughs) In college, uh, I did a lot of questionable things and uh, made questionable decisions in how I was a presence in other people's lives, and I was very flaky, and... You weren't, though. You were damn consistent. You texted me good morning every morning. Okay, you texted true. me good night every night. You texted me in the middle of the night if you had a bad dream. You would text me if you thought that I had a bad dream, and you just, like, the vibes were off. You're like, hey, vibes are off. Like, are you good? A lot of times I wasn't. Greatly appreciate those things. Yeah. Um, but I was also your constant. Yeah. You were, because so much in my life was in turmoil and changing. Uh, you were the constant, and I think I put you in a position to to fail in a lot of ways, honestly, because I did depend on you so much, and we had to figure out those boundaries with each other. And there was a lot of emotional maturing that I had to do, that you know I've continued to have to do and to have to address. You make it sound like being friends with me is difficult. No, not at all. I'm not saying that. I'm actually saying that we got into I mean, we got into really bad, like, if we were physically next to one another in the arguments that we had, we would probably need to leave the room because something was probably going to get broken, like you said, like your phone. Um, and over time, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I can have an argument with this person who I, I say and I perceive as really important in my life and treat them poorly in the way that I talk to them and speak to them. Or I can start to hold myself accountable in the way that I communicate, in the way that we set boundaries with one another, and really look at how I have conversations with this person. Because we have been those types of people to constantly have big conversations and have important conversations with one another, whether it be over text or over phone or over FaceTime now. You don't talk to me on FaceTime. You talk to Drew. Let's just stop pretending. Those phone calls aren't for me. That one's a little difficult. But, you know, I think I I really did have to get to a point where I'm like, okay, is Ash prodding or pushing because they want to have an argument with me or are they trying to make me a better person or to make me see a new perspective or to make me understand something that I'm not understanding? And so that's really been helpful for me in knowing how our relationship works and how I have an impact on that and how my reactions and my actions can either be negative or positive in that dynamic. Uh, and that extends to Rue now and that extends to how I can, you know, be respectful of my role and my responsibility and take it seriously. And that, that was a long, a long time coming for me 
and you've always been been that constant to that constant um, to hold me accountable. And that's not it's not a difficult thing, or it's not a heavy burden that I feel in our relationship. It's just something that is very unique to us, I think. Yeah. And it's important to me. It's very important to me to have a connection with someone where we can share a platonic relationship that is unique in our lives and special. Right. And all of that isn't and when I, I think when we talk about boundaries with each other, it comes off that, like, I'm setting boundaries for you and you're setting boundaries for me. But a lot of it is really just boundaries for ourselves. Mm-hmm. For our, our sanity, for our health. Um, and to be able to say, like, if I am not mentally ready to have this conversation, I'm going to communicate that. But I'm also going to give a time in the future where I'm going to push myself to be ready for that conversation. Yeah. And that is really interesting and something that I don't do. Well, I mean, I do it with other people, but, like, it's never something that, that follows through. Do you and I have boundaries with each other where I'm, like, I am not going to do that? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the first boundaries that I sent with you was you were in a relationship with somebody and somebody else thought they were in a relationship with them. And I morally had a problem with the way that that all panned out. Like, I'm not going to throw your shit out. But, like, there was there was a lot of nuance to that. Um, that was like not safe mm-hmm. and I was like you're going to say something or I'm going to say something because this isn't okay right and it was poor decision it was absolutely poor decision making on my part and I can blame it on ignorance but at the same time you pointed it out to me very very quickly and uh, again when, I, when we were at that point in our, our friendship I was very resistant to listening to what you had to say you were also still in high school, I want to say, or, like, hadn't was, quite made it to college. It was, yeah, it was literally between my, the summer between going to college, so it was my senior year going into my freshman year of college, and I was very naive and making very bad decisions, and I continued to make bad decisions after the fact, and... It continued to be a problem. It continued <laughs> to be a problem. Um, and I know you're not airing anything out here, uh, but, like... That's, a, that's a, an example of, you know, ethics, and do, do I still hold those ethics? No, but I did at the time, and mm-hmm. it's a matter of those boundaries are a sign of your own ethics. So you setting that boundary with me and saying, hey, this isn't cool, this is actually dangerous and unsafe, uh, while at the time I wasn't listening, it still it has an impact on me today. And that's, I mean, that's... I think that has made a positive change in my life by us being able to set boundaries where we say, hey, what you're doing is not a sign of my own ethics, and I'm not down with that. Right. And then I was in a similar situation, like, not relationship-wise, but, like, the same things were going on, like, the same caliber of things. And I was like, I feel like you're going to say some really bad things. And you're like, no, because your situation is different. What is going on is different. The backgrounds of what things are different and um you're like this is going to be bad mm-hmm. but like i'm not i'm not judging you for it and we're still okay right. but i still had the wherewithal to be like hey i'm checking in this is a thing and uh i think that that's important as well because i recognize that where my boundaries and my moral standings are aren't necessarily where yours are 
so there are things that I will tolerate that, well, I don't know if there are things that I will tolerate that you won't on like a grand (laughs) scale, Um, but there are things that you will tolerate that I will not. Um, And I think that especially in this situation of race and to go back with what we originally talked about, um, you are who you surround yourself with. And it is very important to me that, um, that I'm surrounded by people with similar morals and ethics as I have. And while I'm not saying you have to boycott everybody's, um, everybody's bullshit, like I understand why you looked up to Jeffree Star. There were very few people at the time who were out and unapologetically gay at the time. And you were still learning to be part of that. Like you still hadn't come out to me yet. And homeboy, like I knew since I met you, um, but, like, you still weren't ready to see that for yourself. So I can completely understand why that's that he holds a special place in your life. But you are not in that space anymore. No. We are not in that space anymore. You have plenty of other options. And you're still choosing to support somebody who has these feelings. Now, because you were there from the start, yeah. you're choosing that, that moral place. Right. And now I'm not surrounding myself with people that I'm comfortable with in, like, weird casual racism or misogyny or, like, whatever, um, I'm picking and choosing who is safe for my child to be around, and I don't want her to have to feel the way that I have felt in the past, not with, like, Jeffree Star, because that was, like, a completely different thing for you and I, but, like, people who still support Chick-fil-A. Um, I understand, like, dietary-wise, there are some people who, who can't. If they're going to have fast food, it has to be something like that. Um, for like a health and safety reason, totally understand that. But um, if you can just as easily eat a Big Mac, um, then just as easily eat a Big Mac. Like their chicken is not that great. Um, <laughs> their lemonade is pretty okay. Um, but my morals and ethics aren't aren't for that because it's not. At that point, you know there's controversy surrounding it. You're choosing to do it anyway, and it affects somebody that's close to you, even if it doesn't affect you. Right. So you're making that decision that that's fine, and that's not fine with me. Mm-hmm. And I, so many people think that that's cancel culture or or, or, or or basically bullying people into submission when really it's just accountability. Right. And you, you have to constantly be, be trying to push and evolve and grow with society because society is changing. It's constantly changing. We're a collective species of humans, and... Um, if, if, if we want to continue to progress, we have to, instead of ignoring the problems, address them and sit in that discomfort and really figure out what it, what the morals are that we hold and what the ethics are that we want to uplift and uphold in our lives. And for me, I, I can't take on the responsibility of negatively impacting you and Rue anymore because, well, anymore, I anymore, this is the moment. Um, it's the moment within the past, but it's still a constant choice and it's a constant evolution of people being able to identify where the problems exist in society and what where the problems exist in individual dynamics and individual relationships and how you want to support other people and show love for other people. And I think love is an ethic and if you don't see it that way, then you're ignoring the problem. Yeah. You're essentially, in that situation, or in race-based situations in general, if you are choosing not to have them because they make you uncomfortable, you're also forcing me to hide part of myself. 
And especially at the time when I had Rue in the area that I lived and coming up on a Trump presidency, that is a big deal. You're asking me to not only hide parts of what I look like and things that I can't hide outside of that, you're also like making it that I can't communicate with you about fears that I have or concerns that I have about my child or this entire emotional thing while then asking me to listen to yours. Right. That's a burden. It's imbalanced. That's a burden that I don't want to bear by myself. I don't always want to hear about everybody else. I want to be able to contribute to that discussion. And if the things that are going on in my life aren't things that you're comfortable talking to me about, then I don't have any options to talk to you. You just want me to listen. What do I have to offer you? Right. If you just want me to listen to you, that's fine. But, like, then we're not friends. Then you're not a part of my life. I'm a part of your life. And it's exhausting. And it actually, like, destroys friendships because it makes me not want to interact with them at all because it's miserable. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that there's any way for it to be egalitarian 50-50. No. It's an ebb and flow, and it's knowing when this is more important and that's more important. Uh, And really finding the nuances in that and just being able to pivot and adjust and make yourself better for another person in your life because that person is important to you. And they also give you something in return. I mean, humans are very social animals. We, we need we need togetherness. Right. And it's really hard to, to do that whenever you're avoiding discomfort about a subject that affects somebody who's, who's supposedly important to you um, because it, it's saying and doing and action is way more louder than words. And so when you sit there and whether it be family, like I don't talk to really anybody in my family anymore. I've blocked them on my phone. I've blocked them on social media. Some of them, their um, their IP addresses are blocked for um, my website. Like, it's a whole thing. Um, if you're not going to love me for who I am and love my daughter for who she is, and if, you, if we can't share all of ourselves with you, we're not sharing any of ourselves with you. And it's been a very hard pill for some of my family to swallow, especially considering Rue's birthday just happened. So my mom is pretending that she doesn't know what my address is when families ask so that they can send Rue cards. Um, She's like, I can give you her phone number and maybe she'll give you her address, which I also hate, but is like the best of the two options. But I'm not going to respond. If you have something for Rue, you can send it to my mom at the address that she has lived for the last like 35 years. And uh, I will pick it up whenever we speak again. I mean, they're not going to put in the work on their end, then you've already done all the work that you can. I could do more. I'm just unwilling to. Yeah, and I mean, it's labor, and there's no point in putting in the labor if it's going to be unrewarding for you and, and, and essentially unsafe right. for you. And you say that as somebody who, like, together with a lot of our conversations require a lot of emotional labor from both of us. Um, but we understand that the other person is also going to do that emotional labor if need be. So it's not just like, you're always doing emotional labor for me, or I'm always doing emotional labor for you. Full stop, the amount of emotional labor you have done for me in the last, like, three years, way more than I have done for you. Oh, you think so? I do. Um, because mine has just been a constant level of motherfucker, what is happening? (laughs) So you're 
just a constant fire to put out. Yes. And there are like little ebbs and flows in that. Yeah. And in those ebbs and flows, you have something that we need to focus on. Um, but yeah, no, like my life has been a one dumpster fire after the other um, for quite some time now. But I know, and you know, that it's just payback for all the emotional labor I did for you in college. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, really, like, it's not a, it's not an exchange and exchange and exchange. It's more like we're just, you know, things happen. Things are a whirlwind. Sometimes you're doing labor. Sometimes I'm doing labor. Sometimes we're both just laboring away. Um, and sometimes we can't. And yep. Sometimes we really can't do that for one another. And I think that there's an understanding that it's not from the lack of wanting to, mm -hmm. it's from a space of we know where the other's boundaries are and we can we can respect those boundaries while at the same time holding one another to account as friends and as confidants, I guess you could say. Um, and that's, that's something that I don't necessarily have with a lot of people, to be perfectly honest, um, that ability to hold other people accountable and maybe that's because I haven't always felt that I'm getting the same in return and so with with us I think there's a lot of trust and respect that that will happen but we also have to continue showing each other that too right um because otherwise it's just a dumpster fire and then it feels like one person is doing all the work um and I think both of us in general have been really good about um I can't have this conversation right now but I will have it like, I will have it with you. I just, like, something else needs my attention. Um, and to be able to say, like, hey, I have to get resettled before I can do this because this needs more of my attention than I can give right now um, is something important because there are a lot of people I could say that to and they would just immediately get mad. Like, why are you not putting me first? Right. Um, I, mean, I, used, I mean, I used to be like that with you. It was bad. Then. Yeah. But maybe we've grown. Maybe we've become better people. Well, we fucking damn well better. <laughs> like, if I were still the same person that I was 16 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or even three years ago, two days ago, um, when the day that I had Rue, I would feel like I failed. Same. Same. Um, we've both taken bigger parts of activism since Rue has existed on her own, and that is even incredibly important. And I would like to think that that ori original, like, Jeffree Star, like, I am holding a line here, even if you don't understand it, you agreed, you trusted me to take you through that conversation and to be willing to, to deal with your discomfort. Um, and you trusted that I was willing to to allow you to fuck up and be gentle because I will tell you six different times real nicely. And then that seventh time I'm going to be mad um, because you're not fucking listening. And you're like, okay, like she is on, she is on six with this. <laughs> I knew, I knew uh, it, it was the, it was the tone change. It was the tone change for sure. I feel like, Whenever you know someone for long enough, even through a text message, you know when the tone has changed and you know that things just got real serious. And uh, it was at that moment that I knew that I wasn't just writing a silly little blog post. This was important and it had really significant consequences. 
for me and because of what I was saying, um, there would be consequences for that. And I could either say something really stupid and vapid and equivocating, or I could really have the conversation that you actually wanted me to have in the first place. Right. But also there was more for you because you are an you were an English major. You teach English. Yes. You ever, yes. You're, you're right. Right. I think you mentioned, do you really want this to be, do you <laughs> want this to be the piece that people, like even, you know, it doesn't matter if, if there's one person or a million people looking at it. It's still out there. It's still a reflection of who I am. And you, you, you basically, you flat out said, is this really who you want to, want people to, to see you as? Is this how you want to be? And, it was, it was this moment of cognitive dissonance because I could see it already, but I was making the conscious decision to ignore it. But how did you fix that? How did I fix it? Pure terror and um, more pure terror. Going back and looking at what I had written, actually absorbing the words and really remembering that your words have power and your words are powerful what I was saying was negatively powerful and damaging and would have killed our relationship probably probably yeah um I meant more in the sense of you faced it by holding yourself accountable yes. publicly publicly yeah, yeah very very because very you point. wrote about the conversations that we had had when you wrote it you didn't just hide it and be like this is my first draft although you actually write drafts and I don't understand that <laughs> um but this is this is the first thing that I put forth you're like no like I wrote the whole thing and she told me it was garbage but yeah. it was what it was right I had written it it was what it, I said the things I said all of those words uh and, and you're right it was a matter of those going from private words that I wrote for myself basically and then going to the public sphere, like, is this actually, is this actually, yeah, this is not, this is not what I want to say. Um, and holding myself accountable and putting myself in that discomfort mode, uh, I could have made a really stupid decision. I mean, I'm very careful with the stuff that I put out, but that yeah. doesn't mean that you have to be. You but know, you do get paid to write things, and that just right. in general is, like, subpar. Well, yeah, I mean, that would have an impact on me professionally. But honestly, personally, I think the impact was scarier by making it public. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah. The, the, impacts that would, the repercussions that would happen by me making this public... Um, they were real because I have a goddaughter who is a real person and my words, eventually she could read those one day and she would read those one day. I have no doubt that one day she would read those and see those and she would understand why I wasn't the person that was appropriate for, for the job, for the responsibility of the role. Um, and that's not how I see myself and that's not the kind of person that I want to be. And so... I guess that that made me want to, to be a better person because I was going to impact someone else. It wasn't just about me anymore. It wasn't about people's perception of me. It was about me actually damaging someone else in a way that was irreparable. 
and now you are Rue's best friend, and I am chopped <laughs> liver, and I can sit back and, like, be, like, really sad that who we were as friends is different, but also see that you put that exact same energy into my daughter mm-hmm. and to look at it from the outside and just get teary-eyed. Like, yesterday, um, she woke up, and the first thing that she did, she's like, Jordan! And then she, like, remembered you were there and, like, got up and ran into the bedroom and crawled into bed with you. And, like, that was, like, the cutest thing. And I teared up. And I am so blessed that somebody who loves my daughter and my daughter loves as much as you are a part of her life and truly committed to making the world the place for her that would be that it is for your niece. Mm-hmm. Um, and and working through that and knowing that she's safe with you and she feels safe with you and she trusts you is something like I'm willing to just put our friendship aside and just only communicate in like ruisms and that's okay because that's still progress and we're both taking on our different roles right and I know that you're still there but like you're there for for my daughter first and that's the same as like Alex and I we are there for our child before we're there for each other because that is a role that she doesn't have control over. Yeah. And I think that role will continue to evolve and to, to change and the dynamic between us will continue to evolve and to change because it isn't just about you and me as friends anymore. It is about you and me and you and me and Rue and me and Rue and you and Rue. And there's just, there's just so much more in that dynamic Um, that you have to be aware of and it has it definitely has changed our friendship in a way that will never be the same but I don't see that as a negative yeah it's like this weird like quasi co-parenting thing like it's not but it is because you're also taking part in in raising her and when she gets hurt like the first thing she wants is I want to see a mirror because I want to look and I want to see what it is and then I'll clean myself up and then I'm going to cry and I'm going to tell you like I want to talk to Jordan and then I would be like dude like you're being paged do you have time give me like five minutes and I will call and then immediately like the phone rings and she's just like sniffling Jordan it's my Jordan (laughs) and then suddenly the boo-boo is healed right Um, but you make everything better for her and it doesn't matter whether she's with me or whether she's with Alex, um, very much you make her feel safe enough that sometimes she just wants your energy. Yeah. And I really appreciate the opportunity to to be the magic. I think that's the key way of saying it, to be that kind of magic in somebody else's life because, uh, I don't think I, I would ever take this responsibility on again and it's because this is a magical a magical responsibility and it's something that uh, allows me to be something for someone in a way that, that, that helps them. And you take it very seriously, judging from the text message that I got after you left about, like, this is a lot of responsibility and I'm afraid I'm going to fuck it up. Like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Um, it's definitely weighty and you made a good point. You, you immediately responded to me and you're, you were like, do I, do I even really want to read this? Uh, because it, it it was a moment of like me forgetting that having anxiety about a big responsibility and a big role is really part of it, mm-hmm. and having doubts. I mean, in, in parenting in general, uh, having doubts is all I think 
par for the course, and the reality of it was that I came to Sauvru for the first time, and it did become real, uh, more real than before, and those doubts start to creep in, but it doesn't mean that you're not capable, or that it's not the right thing to do, or the thing that you want to do, it's just part of being an anxious creature, and having a big responsibility, and something that you do take Sometimes you just have to do the thing, even though it's scary. Like, being a parent, scary, terrifying. Being a parent of a multiracial child in the middle of a Trump pregnancy, fucking terrifying. Um, but, like, that's okay, because she's, like, a pretty cool kid. Right. Um, she steals the hearts of everybody who meets her, and I get to share my life with her. And that's that's really cool. So if I have to be, like, really nervous or I have to be, like, an angry, scary mama bear, then that's that's what I have to do. And that's a role that I'm perfectly capable of taking. I have that kind of energy where, like, if I'm feeling some type of way, it just emanates from me. Uh, but that's what I have to do to protect my daughter. So it is what it is. Like, you don't get to hurt my kid. And stop. And stop, which is a perfect time <laughs> to end stop. So until next time, stay safe. Bye-bye.